0: Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability.
1: I'm Nasreen and this is Manali and we're here today with Laura Henneman from Strategic Materials to talk to you about glass recycling. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us, Laura.
1: So can you get started telling us about Strategic Materials and how it got started?
2: Yeah. So I work for a company called Strategic Materials, some people in the industry know us as SMI, which is Strategic Materials Inc. Um, And we started actually recycling glass in 1896. So this is our 125th year anniversary. Um, We began life partnering with General Electric, or GE, in Cleveland, Ohio. And we are originally um, starting out as recycling light bulb glass. And since then, it's grown to nearly 50 locations. Um, we operate in US, Canada, and Mexico, and we recycle a variety of glass. So not just your normal bottle glass, but you know things like windshields, post-industrial glass, plate glass, so even mirror glass in some locations. So we try to do all things glass and uh, divert as much glass from landfill as possible. Glass takes about a million years to fully degrade in the landfill. So um, we see it as a valuable resource that doesn't belong in that application.
0: Okay, that's great. So uh, how did you kind of get involved into this area? Um, Did you have a background in sustainability or in glass or um, kind of what's your
2: education and how you ended up here? Yeah, so my education, I went to Penn State University. Um, I graduated with a bachelor's in marketing and went back and got my MBA. um, And took an internship on a whim uh, through the university and ended up with a company that really specialized on a global scale. In fact, I think they were in 32 countries at the time in what we call industrial byproduct commercialization. So what exactly does that mean? It means any of those industrial waste streams or traditional waste streams, we became the solutions provider. So whether it is trying to find beneficial reuse or actually saying, you know what, there's value in this material that otherwise would be landfilled, Um, And and working to market that material on a very industrial scale, um, that was my background. And there was a little bit of overlap um, in that background when it came to glass and glass recycling. Um, And so I ended up in glass with strategic materials um, as a result of that. So my background is just kind of a nice foundation, but now I'm more focused solely on glass.
1: Great. So what does the company physically do? So once a consumer puts their glass bottle in the recycling bin, what happens to these products?
2: Yeah. So we, we like to use the buzzword that everybody uses, which is circular economy. Um, glass has got a very unique story in that sense of when all the key components come together, it really creates a circular economy. So if you as a consumer, you buy a product off the shelf in, in glass, and you enjoy the products inside that packaging, you place it in your recycling bin or in a drop-off program or a dual stream pickup or whatever it might be for, um, for recycling, that will typically go, usually it'll go to a material recovery facility, which is, uh, the acronym is a MRF. And from there, they will process everything they can in single stream. You know, they'll try to separate the glass out, the aluminum out, the paper out, um, and the plastics, and we'll be the benefactors of a glass pile. Sometimes that glass pile is clean. Sometimes it's not so clean. It doesn't really look like glass, but we take it, and we do secondary processing to it um, to meet and market specifications. So primarily it will go back into glass container manufacturing or fiberglass insulation, and then we've got some other, some other markets. Um, but let's say it's going back into glass container manufacturing because um, that is the highest and best use other than refillable programs we'll take it, we'll crush that material down, we'll screen off you know, any of the papers, we'll use vacuums, we'll use magnets to separate everything out that we can. We will recycle what we can out of that. You know, If we're, if we're receiving aluminum cans, we'll recycle that. If we're receiving things like Happy Meal toys, unfortunately those have to go to landfill, um, but then we'll dry the material and many times we'll color sort with optical sortation and then it'll go back to our customers to make new glass containers melt it, make the container for their customer. It's filled and then back on the shelf. And that entire process takes less than 30 days.
0: Um, so you said, you know, you use magnets and things to get rid of metals and plastic. So what, what are kind of like the main challenges that still exist with glass recycling? If you can do everything in 30 days, why isn't it done more or why is, why is it, you know, even an issue?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, our biggest challenge is contamination. And we're not alone in this. It's the general single stream recycling industry um, that we have in the United States is contamination. So it's one of those things where we hear things like glass contaminates other materials. Well, we say single stream contaminates all materials. So depending on the MRF capabilities to sort out those materials properly, whether sequencing or equipment changes or investments, And it's two things. It's the MRFs, like I've talked about, and their sorting practices. But it's also, um, unfortunately, it's consumers. And I think there's some confusion around what belongs in your recycling bin or what can be recycled and what can't be. Um, And there's a variety of reasons for that. But for us, it's the non-recyclables that we receive in the glass pile. Um, As I mentioned, we receive piles of glass. I'm using air quotes that looks nothing like glass. So if there's non-recyclable material in there, um, that makes it very difficult for us. It hurts our operational efficiency. It increases costs for us because if we can't recover those materials because they are non-recyclable, that increases our landfill costs. Um, and all those costs are passed on down the tra- the chain, um, which makes it more difficult for the entire process. I mean, we've received everything from an entire mattress in a pile of glass to uh deer carcass when it's hunting season i mean if you if you can think of it we've probably had it in our facility that's so crazy (laughs) I (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't know how a mattress gets through but uh sometimes i guess it does
1: What are some common um, non-recyclable items that people end up or that end up in some of your glass recycling um, material that you get?
2: Yeah, I mean, for us, what we talk about a lot and um, we're pretty aligned with what we call our suppliers, which is uh, typically a MRF, but it could be even something directly from the city or a county or a, a small business that's collecting glass. But usually anything smaller than your fist ends up in the glass pile. Um, And that's because of their sorting techniques. So anything like your caps, lids, closures, your, I say Happy Meal toys because they're a pretty terrible offender, unfortunately, but I'll say any fast food toys that are are small. Um, And I would say we'll get, like I said, some of the like chicken bones. Um, We had seen a diaper or two um, but usually the the rule of thumb is if it's smaller than your fist, leave it out of your bin because that causes primarily problems only for the glass stream um, and single stream recycling.
0: I didn't know that. That's that's really interesting that it all just kind of gets sent to you. Is that because like do you just get all the remnants after paper and plastic has been taken out?
2: Well, so best practice for a MRF, uh, and we belong to the Glass Recycling Coalition, so they have developed um, some best practices for MRFs as well for processing glass, but it's usually to remove glass from the very front end of the, the system, and glass is very heavy, so, and it's also very breakable, so if they're able to break the glass, it falls through the screens and becomes a glass pile, doesn't move on through the entire system, which they love because they can better sort other materials, glass is also very sharp, so... Um, you know, the wear and tear on their equipment is minimized. It doesn't take any labor or safety issues when you're breaking the glass with machinery um, upfront. So it's kind of a win-win for everybody. Um, but that's kind of where the smaller than fist idea comes from because the screen dro- screens are a little bit larger, pretty much two and a half inches or smaller will fall through along with the glass. And that's why many times, um, simple messaging is better. So many times you'll hear Um, A lot of organizations, uh, whether it's coming from a hall or a MRF or cycling organization um, or city, (laughs) will be leave your caps and lids on. uh, And in part is to help with the processing of those very small materials that, if they're loose, aren't captured or uh, might end up in the glass pile.
1: Oh, interesting. So because glass is like the first thing that's sorted out, it really gets all of those all of those initial contaminants, whereas maybe paper or plastic, which is later on, like gets a little bit more cleaner and as it goes along in the MRF process. Yep, yeah,
2: exactly. So it's just, if you're removing one material as best you can from the very beginning, it allows those other materials to be better sorted. So how important is it that
1: consumers sort of rinse and clean out their glass jars before they um, send it off for
2: recycling? Also a great question. We don't have the same challenges when it comes to, like, food residue that maybe plastics would have. We very much appreciate an emptier jar. We very much appreciate a quick rinse, um, especially if it's, like, spaghetti sauce or something that's sticking. But things like organics don't really hurt our process per se. Um, the biggest contributor that um, is very helpful is it's just if you think of doing the job further down the line, do you really want to be handling food waste, you know, the liquid that's coming out and all of those things. Um, so it's just being considerate to the workers that are um, processing your glass. And I think, you know, part of that too is it can contribute to the odor. Um, so for us, it's also just helps keep the facility, uh, you know, pleasant smelling uh, and also just general handling. It's it's much appreciated to, to give it a quick rinse, but not required for recycling.
0: So I guess... We always told, you know, got to clean everything out. Contamination is why China stopped taking recycling and all of that. But are there other um, myths in this, like, recycling area or glass recycling area that um, you can tell us about?
2: Yes. (laughs) I hear myths every single day. Um, And you kind of touched on one. So the China sword policy was primarily applicable to plastics and paper, which I'm sure both of you are aware And that's usually not contamination related to organics, but more contamination related to the ability to properly sort those materials, so making sure there's a lot of plastic in one pile or a lot of paper in another. Glass was not really impacted by that policy in the sense that glass was never sent to China. We don't export glass. It's very much a domestic business, and part of that is the weight of glass. So it can only travel so far economically um, and to our end markets, so... The only impact we had uh, from China's sword policy was a lot of the MERCs, uh, or cities and counties, were under a lot of pressure to find homes for materials that they could no longer find homes for. They're looking to cut costs and save money, and sometimes glass is the red herring there that gets cut from programs. Uh, so we're, we work very hard to understand that better and uh, partner with those key people to keep glass into curbside programs other myths (laughs) include broken glass can't be accepted we accept broken glass as long as it's not like the size of sand uh broken glass is fine in fact we break it as part of our process sometimes we hear that just for worker safety but broken glass is fine in our process we also heard that mixed color glass can't be accepted Sometimes in key areas, color-sorted glass is worth a little bit more money as far as value, um, but most of the time, mixed-color glass is perfectly acceptable. In fact, as I mentioned, we color sort at our facilities. Mixed color is not an issue. We've heard glass contaminates other materials. I know I've already touched on that, too. Uh, we primarily hear that from the paper industry, which is understandable, uh, but we did do a, a, a nationwide MERC survey. And we've asked how many loads of paper have been rejected due to glass contamination, and the answer was zero across the board. So we like we like to call that a myth, and simply just say single stream. You know, is difficult from all the materials that are placed into a curbside recycling bin.
1: So, what benefits are there to recycle glass um, over making
2: new glass? So recycled glass melts at a lower temperature than virgin material like sand. So the use of the recycled material in the system not only displaces a a mined virgin material like sand, but it also melts at a lower temperature. And the benefits to that are, as you can imagine, there's energy savings, because you're not having to use as much energy to make a new glass bottle or fiberglass insulation, and therefore there's a reduction in CO2 emissions. Um, And further, when you think about the equipment that's heating up all this molten glass to make new glass bottles or to make the the fibers for the fiberglass installation, it's a lot less um, hard on those furnaces, so they maybe have less maintenance on the equipment, or maybe the equipment can last longer. Or if it's an older furnace, maybe you require more recycled glass in in the production of those products uh, because you can't afford to burn out your millions and millions of dollars a furnace so it's also helpful on energy co2 and displacing a a virgin material um
0: so you kind of said that most of the glass that gets uh, recycled or i guess all of the glass that gets recycled it's all domestic um can you tell us about how like glass recycling compares in the u.s for with the rest of the world
2: yeah it's definitely different Um, And we hear this a lot, too, uh, because our European friends are typically a little bit more progressive when it comes to recycling than we are in the U.S. You know, we have a unique set of challenges in the U.S. which are are good and bad. I think in part, we've got a lot of land. We have a lot of space. And what that means for us is two things. One, that means we've got a lot of landfill options. And in fact, some of our states have very inexpensive landfills. Our largest competitor is landfill, where in Europe, they don't have the luxury of space um, in many of the areas. Um, And the second part of that is something I touched on is logistics. So, you know, we've got populations of people further away from maybe where the materials are uh, recycled, so that adds cost, um, which makes it more difficult to be competitive in some areas, whereas Europe is pretty condensed for the most part. Um, So, I think... That would be one you know, unique challenge we have. The other thing is our policies and legislation or government mandates are just different um, for a variety of reasons, but you know, we don't have recycled minimum content national standards. We don't have a national bottle bill. We don't have accessibility to easy drop-off um, in some areas that are densely populated and we have a lot of rural areas which makes it very challenging for all of those programs as well and finally i think that there's just a general cultural difference and consumer attitudes i think uh, for again a variety of reasons that you can't necessarily attribute it to one thing but consumers generally in europe are just we recycle because that's what we do Um, in the u.s we're we're a little bit more of a convenience driven so if it's convenient for me to put it in my recycle bin, I will. If it's not convenient, more convenient for me to put it in my trash, I'll do that instead.
0: Um, are there certain things that our listeners or our general audience can do to improve their sustainability or to kind of be more proactive about glass recycling? Is there, is there things that people themselves can start doing a little bit more of?
2: I think as a consumer, um, and I'm pretty close to this, but I still have a lot to learn. As a consumer, I think it's not being afraid to do some of the research and ask some of the questions. And you are a taxpayer. Um, you are, you know, entrusting certain city um, officials with your recycling programs. And some do it better than others. So if you're unhappy, I, I think that you're within your rights to express that, you know, in a very uh, professional and polite manner, but you still can make your voice heard. Um, I also think, you know, if you're well-educated on on the benefits or the factors in which make recycling challenging, I think it makes you a better ally to help educate others um, with word of mouth. And I also think that you shouldn't be afraid to take matters into your own hands and start your own initiatives. So we've We've seen some programs start out of my program or my community didn't offer glass recycling. So I started my own business and now I go collect glass on a subscription-based program or I solicited for a drop-off so that I could give my community more options because glass was otherwise going to landfill. Yeah, those
1: are all wonderful ways. Speaking of our community, Um, We're in Georgia right now. I grew up in Jersey where we have, where we can recycle from our house glass, but in Georgia, I know we have to take it elsewhere.
2: Georgia is unique. (laughs) Georgia has a lot of great momentum right now around glass recycling. Each county kind of has a different program right now, Um, whether it's MRF capabilities, hauler contracts, you know, there's kind of a variety of reasons why. Um, But Georgia recycling is hopefully on the upswing. Um, It is still accepted curbside in some counties. There's also robust drop-off programs. The interesting thing about Georgia is we operate our glass recycling facility in College Park. We are literally hand-to-mouth right now on glass into our facility. So we need more glass. Our demand for recycled content in Georgia and the Southeast in general is beyond what we can recover from Georgia residents. So believe it or not, we bring glass in from the surrounding states to try to meet that demand. So anything that we can do to increase the recovery rates in Georgia and closer to um, where our recycling facility is to service those end markets with that high demand, um, you know, that's where our focus is. Um, and like I said, there's some really great programs. Georgia Tech, especially, has uh, a great sustainability program for glass recycling, and have been what we like to call good glass warriors for our cause.
1: That's um, that's amazing. I didn't realize there was such a demand for it. I just assumed, for as with like paper and plastic, some of the supply is greater than the demand for the recycled materials, and also because. I feel like I see a lot of people just throw out glass here. So I'm like, oh, that's, that's even more valuable than I thought it was. So are there kind of new technologies or improvements that are happening that
0: can, is making it more economical, more efficient?
2: Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing there, um, which is, is good news, the infrastructure for glass recycling is already in place. Um, so there's not necessarily a new technology. It's just a matter of incre- increasing recovery rates. You know, according to you EPA, which is probably a few years old at this point, but, um, you know, the total glass recovered versus what sold into the United States is only about a third. And I just mentioned we have a higher demand. So for us, if we can start to close that gap, um, that would be one thing that we would love to do. And we really wouldn't need much technology or infrastructure to do it. It's just a matter of education and making sure that the entire glass recycling value chain is getting that value. To wrap things up, what would
1: you like the general audience to know about glass and recycling, um, if you haven't mentioned already?
2: I'll reiterate it. I'm not afraid to do that. <laughs> if, we, if we haven't figured it out yet, uh, glass does not belong in the landfill. One thing that we love to say is don't trash glass, which is kind of dual meaning, obviously. Um, and Georgia, if you're listening, if you're a Georgia resident and you need more of your glass, we will gladly take it into our facility.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I will start telling everyone here <laughs> to recycle their glass more, hopefully Wait, even more.
2: can you tell us more about the Georgia Tech program? The program that runs at Georgia Tech in less than five years has already diverted over 100 tons of glass um, from landfill into recycling.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I'm really happy to hear that.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today. We learned a lot, and we're really glad that people are doing a lot with glass recycling and and you know, busting some of these myths that are out there, because I think that's definitely been something that's holding it back a little bit.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me and being able to talk about glass, because we love glass.
0: <laughs> this episode was edited and produced by Nasreen Khan and Manali Banerjee. Music is by Shang Young. Please find us on Twitter and Instagram at PGTMPodcast. and you can email any questions to talk green to me podcast at gmail.com.